I'll be reading you to you from Ezekiel uh, 37, verses 1 through 14, and the Common English Bible, if you'd like to follow along. That's page 1054 of your pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and they were covered over with skin. But there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, Come from the four winds, breath. Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, The Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. I will put breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We are, uh, we are doing sermon by request this weekend. Did you know you could do that? I didn't know you could do that. Uh, I have been preaching different. We've been preaching priests, prophets, kings this summer. And actually, it was Lori and Ed who said, hey, could you preach on Ezekiel 37 specifically? <laughs> so... I was like, sure, why not? Let's do it. So uh, that's why we're here today. This is Sermon by Request. You know, remember how you said, I don't know if you remember, some of you remember calling in the radio station and asking for your favorite song. So that's kind of what we're doing today. So this is actually, I've heard a lot of sermons on this passage, a lot of messages on this passage out of Ezekiel. I have never preached on it before. So thank you guys for letting me preach on uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, one of the things we've been doing is going through and understanding where people are in the nation, in the history of the Old Testament. And today, I want to kind of set the tone of where this vision, who, where, what's the state of the people that are hearing this vision? Like, let's take ourselves back in time a, a little bit. Not a little bit, a lot. So I was actually visiting uh, with an elderly woman uh, 
uh, in another ch- when I was pastoring in, at another church, and I would often go to her house, and she was in her late 90s, and she was a pretty positive person. She was always very encouraging and always very appreciative when I would come visit her and uh, was always just welcome visitors into her house. And we had, uh, because she was alone, living alone, um, we had different people from the church that would stop in and check on her daily, and then I would go visit her occasionally and check in and see how she was doing. And most of the time, it was a positive experience for both of us. But on this one particular day, I came in, and she was really discouraged. Like, she was really broken in her spirit. And uh, I said, you know, I started, obviously, I said, you know, how, what, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? How are you doing? And she says, my family's fighting over the house. My, my family, my extended family's fighting over who gets the house when I die. Think about that. And she was just so discouraged by it because her family, I mean, our church family actually probably spent more time looking after her than her own family did. And what they were doing is they were debating and arguing over who was going to get the house when she died. And she just felt so discouraged by that, right? And I totally understand that. Like, and she, she said to me, she said, they, were, they care more about this house than they care about me. And I remember her feeling of, of this kind of discouragement, despair. And she actually said to me, Pastor, I wish God would just take me right now. Would you just pray that God would take my life right now? And I have, my heart broke when I heard her say that. She said, I'm ready to go. I've had enough. You know, I've lived a full life. I wish the Lord would just take me. And that is like a feeling of despair, isn't it? Resignation. Like, I'm done, <laughs> right? That's really where the Israelites are when they hear this message from Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a prophet, and he's speaking into people who are in exile. They've been taken into captivity from their homeland, and their home has been taken from them, and they feel abandoned by God. They feel like no one cares about them, and so that's where we find the people of Israel in exile in this vision to them. Now, we all experience despair or some level of loss, right? In fact, has anybody experienced any loss within that past 18 months? Anybody? Like, I feel like we've experienced, we've all experienced loss. And that loss can take different forms for us, right? So there are four different types of loss that we each experience in our lives. And let me just review those for you, just kind of set the tone for where the Israelites are. The first type of loss is called regret. Regret is something we all experience. It's a type of loss where we, we miss an opportunity, right? We, 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 we know we probably should have done something or we missed some opportunity to do something and we, we regret that we didn't take an opportunity. Or we did take an opportunity, but we didn't do it in the right way or we said something that we wish we could take back, right? Have you ever said something that you wish you didn't say, wish you could take it back? That's regret, right? And what we're experiencing is actually loss. When we feel regret, what we're feeling is a loss. And what we're losing is actually the opportunity to be God, who God called us to be, right? Either I wasn't who God called me to be, or I missed an opportunity to be who God called me to be, or I wasn't acting in a way that God would want me to act, right? And so I experienced the loss of not being who God called me to be. That's regret. The second level of loss is sadness. We often, we do experience sadness, and we connect the sadness to an actual event in our lives. So if, if the loss of a loved one would create sadness. Um, the loss of a, a job opportunity would create sadness for us, right? And that's a loss. And we can connect that feeling of sadness directly to the event. 
Um, maybe a simpler way to think about it is this, like, how many people are Seahawks fans? Any Seahawks fans, right? If you are emotionally invested in that game and they lose, right, you experience sadness because they've lost. And it really, it's the amount of emotional investment that you put into the game that will determine how sad you are the next day on Monday morning when you go to work, right? So I, I'm seeing some people nod their heads like, oh yeah, I get too emotionally invested in a sports game, right? And so then you're like, oh, I can't believe, you're sad, right? Because you're, that's the event that created that sadness, right? They lost. Now that's not going to happen to Seahawks this year. Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen on that, right? It's not going to, they're going to go 0 oh, and 17. They got 17 games this year. Uh, not, oh, sorry, I said that wrong. 17 and 0. Sorry, there's, you know, I don't even know. God, I hope God didn't hear that. All right, so, um, so that's it. So then the next level is depression. Now, depression is not connected to an event. It's a state of the mind. It's probably a series of losses that lead us to experience depression, which is this state of just not wanting to do anything, right? It's actually, it manifests itself both physically and emotionally. There's a lack of motivation, a lack of desire. And so we're depressed because we've experienced maybe multiple losses and we're not really connected to any one of those losses, kind of like the cumulative effect of that, right? And so when we experience that depression, it feels very vague to us and we feel, can feel very lost in that because we're not able to connect it to an event like, like we do with our sadness or the loss of sadness. But there's one more level that's the worst level, and that's called despair. Despair is a darker layer, a darker level below depression. <laughs> and despair is where we are totally utter absence of hope for us. There's no hope here in despair. We're, we're hopeless and we're helpless and we can't see a way out. And so when we're experiencing despair, we're actually beyond any level, like we, we can't even make ourselves feel helpful anymore. That's despair. That's where Ezekiel is speaking today. The exiles, now keep this in mind. So there was a Babylonian army that came and conquered the nation of Israel and they conquered and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and they took people from Israel into Babylon, to a different place, a different place, and they put, made them uh, captives in this other nation. And actually, we can see their state. We get a sense of their emotional state actually from Psalm 137, which is a hard psalm for people to read, but I want to read the first few verses of Psalm 137 to kind of get us into that place where the exiles were. It says this, and these are, notice these are, the people that are writing this psalm are worship leaders in Jerusalem. They had been worshiping God. They had been singing God's song. They had been enjoying and celebrating in Jerusalem before the fall of Jerusalem. But here, when they're sitting beside the river in Babylon, by the way, that's also where Ezekiel receives his visions, is by the river in Babylon. It says this, 137, Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung our lyres up in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? Do you hear the resignation? <laughs> They're like, we, can't even, we don't even want to worship God anymore. Like, we're, we're so dis in despair, we, we've lost hope, you hear the, the loss of hope, 
and you also hear the resignation in that psalm. They're, they're not even, they don't even want to play instruments. They don't want to sing. They don't want to do anything. They just want to sit there. And that's where Ezekiel is speaking. It's to these people that Ezekiel is saying, here's God's vision for you. Ezekiel chapter 37. And this, this vision is actually, where do you see this? Like, if you heard, as Lori read, where is the vision taking Ezekiel? Where is he at the beginning of the vision? Just to, to, to bring ourselves, where are they at? In a valley, right? I heard somebody say valley. And what's in the valley? Bones. Very dry bones. Now, what this conjures up is a scene of a defeat, of defeat, of battle. Battles often happen in valleys, and this is the valley of defeat. And all these bones are, their, their defeat was so bad that nobody came to collect the bodies of the dead to bury them. That's how bad this is. This is how defeated they are. And so not only that, but these bones have been there a long time and they've dried up. They've totally got, gone through decomposition and they're dry bones. In fact, Ezekiel chapter, verse 11 describes what these bones represent. It says this, our bones are dried up and hear this, our hope has perished. We are completely finished. That's despair, right? There, there's no hope. They are totally defeated, dried up, nothing's going to happen. Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel hopeless? <laughs> Let me suggest something. You ever say to yourself, I feel like I'm all alone? Have you ever said that? Or, I don't, no one can help me. I'm beyond help. I don't think anybody really cares about what I'm going through. People are against me. In fact, some people just want to see me miserable. If you've had those thoughts, you've experienced despair. You've experienced what the people of Israel experienced, right? That's the message of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is coming not only to the Israelites, but coming to us today, right? It's meant, this vision is meant to give hope to people who are hopeless. That's the point of the vision. See, the thing is, is that when we're in despair, we are hopeless. We, we can't conjure up our own hope, right? If you've really been in that state, or maybe you're even in that state today, it's hard to kind of conjure up your own hope, right? That's why this vision is so important, because they can't create their own hope. So God sends Ezekiel to them with this vision to give them hope right? Isn't that the way God works? I don't, I hope this is the way God, this is the way I experience God. Sometimes I experience God through other people. Like there are times when I feel discouraged, and, and to be honest with you, I have felt the discouragement over these past 18 months. And the thing that gives me encouragement or hope is when someone just comes up and says to me, Matt, I really appreciate everything you're doing, or thank you for this, or thanks for that, for doing that or thanks for that message that you get you're like when somebody comes alongside me and says that it gives me hope <laughs> you know it gives me encouragement and and I interpret that as not just from that person but I actually interpret that as God just as Ezekiel came with a message 
to the Israelites. I believe that God brings people into our lives with these messages of encouragement. And it's God reminding us that God is with us <laughs> through others, right? I think that that's the way God, because there are times I can't conjure up my own hope. <laughs> I can't manifest it myself because of despair or discouragement. And so when other people come alongside and bring hope, it is valuable. I hope you experience that. I hope you have other people in your lives that do that with you. And in this passage, the hope that is coming, or Ezekiel is pronouncing in the vision, comes from God's Spirit. There's a Hebrew word in, the, in Ezekiel 37 that's used multiple times, translated three different ways, and it's called rach. you got to hock it up when you say it, right? Rach. I don't even think I'm saying it right now. Anyway, but the other place that we see this Hebrew word is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of chaos. Think about that. The Spirit of God, the rock of God, was waiting, hovering, ready to bring life, right? And so that's the same idea here is that these dry bones in this defeated valley that the Spirit of God is coming and it's hovering over this place and it's about to bring new life. The, in the words in that passage, you'll hear interp- uh, translated as spirit, wind, and breath. All the same Hebrew word is being used there for all three tra- words that are translated. Which really means it's the breath of God, the Spirit of God, the wind of God is going to come upon these dry bones and bring them back to life. It's the Spirit of God that's going to do this, resuscitate the bodies, right? Bring breath to them, revive them, restore them, literally resurrect them from dryness. Because these bones aren't going to do it themselves, right? There's no way that bones, dry bones, are going to just spontaneously erupt into life. It requires God's Spirit to bring life. That's what God's Spirit does. It brings life. It renews. That's the vision that Ezekiel is bringing to the people that are all dried up spiritually, emotionally, physically, right? Now, this idea, too, we we tend to think, well, I don't ever want to feel that despairing, right? How many people would like to avoid despair? We all would, right? I want to raise up an idea here that, think about. Is there such a thing as godly despair. Can, can, could God actually be working in my despair? Right? Because that's what we're seeing here in this vision, that God could actually be working in our despair, which seems kind of counterintuitive to us, right? But godly despair, is there's something good about it. Here's what's good about it. It's the total collapse of the will, of the self-will. Because when you're in despair, your self-will is just, you're you're just like, uh, it's collapsed, right? Which is maybe right where God wants us. In that total collapse of the will. I mean, if you look at Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood and he prayed a prayer. And that prayer was, not my will, but yours be done. He was in a place of despair. And he had to collapse. His own will was being collapsed for what God was about to do, right? So 
there's, there's something godly about being in despair to be in this very dark place. And here's the thing, you know, people ask me like, well, how was, you know, I, I know that it says you, that God turned God's back on Jesus when he was on the cross. Well, wasn't God still there? <laughs> yes. There's something going on here that God is present in God's absence. Stay with me here. That the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters of chaos in our lives, both present but seemingly absent. God is both turning God's back on Jesus, not able to look at sin, and yet still fully present to Jesus, the Son. It's a paradox. In fact, that's what Allender and Longman call it. They say in their book, The Cry of the Soul, we will discover the paradox of his presence in the midst of his absence. That when we're in despair, God's spirit is still there, hovering over us, waiting to breathe life into our dry bones, into our lives. Just hovering, waiting for our self-will to collapse to the point where we cry out to God who is waiting for us. You know, I was, as I mentioned, you know, I, I've been discouraged as well. And when, I think it's a good practice that when you are discouraged, when you are despairing, that you talk to God about it. And I was talking to God about my discouragement. And I was um, just talking to God and saying, you know, I'm tired of being discouraged. And it feels like a, it's, it's not a good place to be. If you've ever been discouraged, it's not a good place to be. And I've been praying to God about it, talking to God about it, you know, asking God about it. And God gave me an image. I felt like God was just impressing this image on me. It's, you find this image in Psalm 18 and Psalm 31. It's the image of the hen, the mother hen protecting her chicks. You know, that, that's referred to a couple times in the Psalms, give this image of God where God is this mother hen and the chicks are all gathered under the wings for protection, right? And you can see that in the picture, you know, that some, you know, chicks and they're all scrambling to get in there, right? But here's the thought that God impressed on me. Matt, where's it the darkest under the wings of God? It's, it's closer in, right? That the darkest place under God's wing is the closest to God. You know, basically to keep this image in your head, we're in, you're in the armpit of God, Matt. Right? You're in a place of darkness, but it is close, you are closer to God than you've ever been before. You see that? Because you're so close in, it's dark. <laughs> now, if you don't think, if you're like, all right, Matt, that's a crazy image. Well, what had happened to Jesus? Where did they place him before his resurrection? In a tomb, in a grave. In the darkest possible place. Not only did he die on a cross, but he went to a grave. He was sealed up in a tomb. He went to the grave. The darkest of all places. The despair that he faced, right? And yet, here again is godly hope. That's godly hope. Here's a description of godly hope out of that same book. It says, heavenly hope is a vision of redemption in the midst of decay. Hear that? 
redemption in the midst of decay. Its source is in God, and its focus is that we will become more and more like him and that we will always be with him. This is what Ezekiel is talking about. This redemption, this restoration, this resurrection that will come to dry bones, to people in despair, to the Israelites in exile. That's what it's talking about. That when we're totally defeated, that's the moment we turn to God and God wins the victory. Just like Jesus. If there's a verse to take home with you today, if there's a verse to hang on to in the moment of despair, it's this verse in verse 14. This is the key verse today. It says this, I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. If you're feeling discouragement, despair, loss today, this is your verse. This is our verse. That God's spirit is hovering over you right now, wanting to bring life, wanting to bring restoration to you. That's what God wants to do. And maybe you're exactly where God wants you to be. You may feel like God's absent, but maybe it's just that God is fully present in a way, in a way that we can't understand. You know, I was thinking about those of us who maybe aren't experiencing despair. Maybe we're in a good place. Maybe life is two thumbs up for everybody right now, or somebody right now. So what is God asking of us? Who have the hope? Well, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which stems out of his experience in the concentration camps of World War II. He lived in a concentration camp and he observed uh, human behavior, uh, what was happening in the concentration camp, and he saw a lot of people in despair and hopeless. And he noticed, he observed something that he mentioned in his book, and he noticed that when people were totally despairing, when they were in that place where they wanted to give up, what would happen was that they would go off, they would find a place off by themselves, away from other people as much as they could get, maybe in the corner of a building or under a bed or in a different section of the camp up against a corner of a fence, and they would curl up in the fetal position and they would die. They would just physically give up the will to live. They would, that's total collapse. And that's how some people died in the concentration camps. But Viktor Frankl also noticed something else. He noticed that if somebody else noticed that person doing that, and if another person followed them to where they would go, and then when they would curl up in the fetal position, if that person would go lay next to them, doesn't, didn't even have to say anything. Just, just lay next to them. They would live. The physical presence of another human being in their life created life, gave life. So those of you who have hope and are encouraged, maybe God wants you to do that for others. 
That when you see hopelessness, when you see despair, when you see discouragement, that our role as the people of hope is to go to be with those people and give them encouragement and hope in the midst of their despair. That maybe God wants to use us to be people who bring hope as well. Because again, as we mentioned, we can't, people in despair and discouragement and depression, they can't conjure up their own hope. <laughs> we need others from outside. They need others from outside to come to them. And so today we come together around a table of hope. This table reminds us that Jesus gave up himself, gave up his will, and was also resurrected, resuscitated by God's Spirit for us. And that same life-giving Spirit that God wants to work in us today as we come to this table. It is a table of hope, so let us pray together. God, we give you thanks for this table of hope and love and grace that you have brought to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that he was with you through it all. It is a reminder to us that, God, you have not abandoned us. You, have, you are not absent to us, but you are right here with us. Your spirit right now is hovering over our lives, wanting to work, wanting to recreate, wanting to restore, wanting to resurrect us, revive us. So, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here today? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and this cup today that we, it may be the body and blood of Christ so that we can be the people of hope for the world that is hopeless and in despair. Would you renew us today? Would you strengthen us today as we come to this table of hope today? And Lord, we pray together as you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.